0: The Operations Leadership Podcast with Goten Basu provides insights for today's business leaders on creating value through operations improvement, process excellence, digital innovation and organizational leadership. Our guest for this episode of the Operations Leadership Podcast is Pekka Malo. Pekka is an associate professor in the Management Science Department at Alto University's School of Business. And he has an extensive background and experience in quantitative analytical models, including artificial intelligence, machine learning, natural language processing, and multi-objective optimization, to name a few. He has developed, built, and implemented these models, both in a research scientific as well as a business context. So we hope you enjoy this conversation with Pekka, and if you like what you're hearing, then we kindly ask you to hit the subscribe button. Enjoy. Hello, Pekka, and welcome to the Operations Leadership Podcast.
1: Yeah, hello. Thank you.
0: All right, great. Uh, Could you tell our audience a little bit about your background and experience and mainly what got you into uh, or interested in management science, operations research, and maybe math in general?
1: Well, uh, I got background in, uh, in quite a number of disciplines, so mostly in mathematics uh, and statistics, but uh, then I also have uh, done a business degree. And, uh, uh, yeah, the reasons why I mostly got interested in, uh, in management science operations research was that, I mean, it uh, kind of offers a nice intersection between the practical side and the technical disciplines Mm. so it's not just doing theory but also nice applications yeah
0: i can imagine that uh, with the increased uh, attention on business analytics and use of multinational Mm. companies using analytics and ai and machine learning that that is also quite uh, a hot skill
1: yeah uh, There's a lot of demand, yes, good on that side. Very good, very good.
0: And you also have an extensive background with many of these quantitative models. Mm -hmm. Uh, We mentioned AI, machine learning, this multi-objective optimization. So when you look at a certain application or a problem, Mm -hmm. uh, could you describe your process for picking the appropriate mathematical model for the given, let's say, problem or application, um,
1: yeah. Well, I mean, uh, clearly, this uh, depends a lot on the on the problem. So, I mean, there's not like a general pattern which works for. All of them, but uh, like uh, if uh, most, most of the time, though, that the problems we find interesting are the ones that cannot be directly solved with the existing tools. Like so we are, well, that's, a, that's the research side focus. So as researchers, we're essentially looking for problems which have something to them, why they are challenging and uh, why there is some some motivation uh, in which needs to be important enough mm-hmm. to, to develop a new method that can address it yeah. so that's the kind of a side what we mostly um, take but uh, then uh, of course like uh, when uh, looking at consulting projects and so forth so there the setup can is quite different so one rarely develops new new methods but instead it's more like applying how they are relevant and well, when uh, they when they're, they're data driven problems, well, a lot depends on the on what kind of a data it is. What are, what is the objective? What is what are they trying to achieve with it? And uh, well, it's uh, it's really conditioned on 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 the data and the quality, and also like what sort of a background skills does the company itself have, and, and
0: so forth. Right. You mentioned something interesting, I mean, that, for example, in consulting versus the kind of research, scientific research world, that uh, in scientific research, you have to kind of maybe build the models Mm -hmm. from scratch, Uh, but in consulting, you may just apply an already existing model. Could you talk a little bit more about well, that?
1: Well, uh, the reason uh, why, um, why, the, uh, uh, why one typically tries to address the consulting problem is because of speed. So you cannot, uh, if, if you cannot wait, that you get the better solution. You have to get something that just works uh, sufficiently. It might be that, for instance, you you may, may need to then accept that it's uh, the method and the problem are not completely like matched even. So you're accepting some degree of violation also of the conditions and so forth, but just to get results mm. whereas if if you'd really also many of those problems are such that if you'd really want to genuinely provide a good solution it would take a lot of time because then it's it's a research problem once again right. Right. and uh like um uh that's especially when it's about prescriptive modeling so like when when you deal with the uh, optimization and, uh, and things like that it mm. tends to be Difficult. Whereas uh, when when you're just uh, solving like data-driven problem, just predictive analytics, for instance, and so so then um, like you know that you might get better results by applying some other method uh, n- uh, approach, which uh, would just take so much more time to implement. But you still know that well, yeah, you get something at least done,
0: right? Right. And I mean, in your kind of experience. Um, if you had, let's say your time constrained, mm-hmm. let's say the deadlines are coming up, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, how much, how much accuracy, uh, or maybe accuracy is not the right mm-hmm. word, but how much better would, 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 a, would a solution be if you had more time? Let's say you had, let's say one month versus one year. Uh, that
1: can affect really, really a lot. Okay. I mean, uh, in, in many of the problems, uh, getting more time if that like a strict time constraint is removed mm-hmm. the quality can improve a lot okay like, yeah. especially in prescriptive problems. Prescriptive, yeah.
0: right so prescriptive meaning more normative yeah and, and
1: when when you're uh, really like uh, solving also mathematical optimization problems so yes, yes there it's often the case that it
0: yeah. helps and and in management science and quantitative methods and especially analytics you have the segregation of diagnostic descriptive Mm -hmm. predictive and prescriptive so where do you see uh you know the analytics and kind of these models where is the majority is it going to predictive type of models or
1: it's uh in descriptive and uh predictive so i mean uh like that because they're easy Mm -hmm. you can uh uh You can quickly get something done and uh and uh the thing is that um uh, uh, there are also setups where uh, which are not so demanding regarding the background skills of people so uh like okay. if you know. To a good extent, programming, and you you know at least some of the underlying assumptions of the models that you can sort of use them for for that that particular problem. So then um, then it's it's very easy. I mean, they are so nicely packaged. The tools exist. There are plenty of libraries. So so uh, it, it's really not so much demanding on like research grade skills, but instead it's it's more like routine tasks. That right. Right. And also, uh, like in the in the foreseeable future, I would say that uh, larger and larger amounts of these will be automated. Like the routine stuff uh, gets automated, whereas uh, the ones where you have, for instance, something is wrong with the data, something is uh, happening there that uh, though you know that you can kind of apply these, then you still need to, do more to make it work, so then it's kind of creating still good slots for people to sure. excel.
0: Sure. But and And it's interesting that you mentioned that some of these more predictive models, especially around forecasting, mm-hmm. I'm thinking specifically around sales and operations planning or integrated business planning, where you do statistical demand forecasting. Um, do you think that that will be automated also in the future? Um, to some extent
1: but uh, i mean uh there are also ov- always dangers in the automation so unless you have a very very nicely controlled setup and and the predictive ma- problem where you uh where you sort of uh, know that the underlying process is uh, at least stable stationary in some sense mm-hmm. so uh then uh automation can work nicely, but if you have, uh, th- have have processes that tend to change and develop over time, there can be structural breaks and all that sort of stuff. So uh, then it's uh, increasingly more difficult to Automate because okay. you need to make also judgments that to what extent you can use the historical data mm-hmm. because it might uh, get already outdated just because, for instance, there's a law has changed or or something in the economy has changed. There's been new major technology that has caused a dramatic change and, yeah. and
0: yeah.
1: or in a, if you're modeling like uh, sensor data, that could be if the machinery gets replaced, well. It's a new process. I mean, what do you do with the historical data then? It's not perhaps any more relevant.
0: Yeah. yeah. And so there's a bit of, let's say, uncertainty there, whether it's the actual machine or uh, macroeconomic or some other stuff. Is that even possible to kind of model that uncertainty? Or would you have to, uh, how would you build a model for something like that, which something like, as you said, a structural break?
1: Mm well uh I mean, uh, structural breaks are uh uh well some of them are that you know that okay uh this is going to happen like uh, i mean if if you're purchasing new <laughs> machinery then you know that it is going to happen or if if there's a a, a change in legislation forthcoming then you know that in advance but and, and there you also know that, there, OK, at that point, there is going to be something that uh, most likely needs to be taken into account. But things like um, uh, this classical term, the black swan style, mm-hmm. of black uh, swan. Yeah. things that, uh, that change things a lot, but are very unpredictable. So uh, yeah. they, are, of course, like, I mean, you do what you can after that. But uh, the, at that point, usually the models tend to fail
0: <laughs> mm. quite a bit. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. And you, in your career, have worked in some interesting projects uh, in the natural resources and forest management domain. Uh, could you describe a little bit more about these projects? Uh, I know that you might be under some sort yeah. of NDA, but, I mean, what you can describe um, in these type of models.
1: Well, that's a very long-term project, and it's ongoing. So. Um, It's uh, it's a combination of research and the industry side uh, Mm -hmm. work, but um, in in that uh, we are uh, we have been developing algorithms for uh, for solving optimal management problems. So I mean it's uh, always a difficult problem, and there are a lot of uh, uncertainty components with uncertainty that need to be included in the models, but it's kind of solving uh, solving uh, uh, stochastic optimization problems, uh, and we use uh, machine learning as part of that. Okay, very uh, interesting. But,
0: uh, is, is that uh, like the application just forests in general and the, the let's say, the planting and the harvesting?
1: Uh, yeah, we have been uh, now uh, mostly focusing on the management of Nordic forests, like uh, because uh, they are. I mean, of course, there are all types of different forests, like in the in the south, uh, southern Europe, and and uh, such that uh, you have uh, the, they they are very different types. Right. But um, now that there exist high quality ecological models, which of course we take those as given, so. Um, they based based on them we we then solve these uh, problems and and the quality of the ecological models then also affects like w- what is the quality of the solutions that we produce. So we can of course uh, improve uh, the uh, uh, methods, the algorithm side, but we cannot really um, decide ourselves that to what how will the ecological model work because that that's developed by other people right.
0: Right. Interesting. And and you said this is a multi-year uh, project. A very
1: you're... long-term project. Very yeah. long-term project. Okay.
0: Um, and have you worked on any of these uh, type of models, maybe for, in you know, a supply chain management or a logistics or even a service operations context?
1: Uh, not these type of models. Uh, on on uh, um, mathematical programming, yes, in in uh, logistics, but that was done as as a kind of a confidential job for okay. a company. But uh, I mean, uh, not 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 so
0: much. Okay. Because it has a deep history, of course, with Uh, the operations like network optimization and things of that nature. so going back a bit to the what we were discussing regarding the rapid adoption of these advanced analytic mm-hmm. uh, models, uh, what do you see as the, let's say, barriers for successful adoption of these type of tools within, let's say, a business organization that's looking to uh, you know, gain or build core capabilities in these analytical models? What do you see as a barrier for adoption? Well, I mean, uh, a major barrier, of course, is like
1: how the top-level management takes it. Are they uh, going for it, or are they against it? Also, of course, like uh, the people what, uh, that are working there, are they are they approving it or not? I mean, it's it's quite a lot about people. Not that uh, like me, you could say that. Yeah, here we have a solution. Use it. No, then uh, if if uh, they have doubts for whatever reason, they will not. Uh, want to use it and also it's kind of uh, it, it's a complicated process too. also mm-hmm. like even when the top management says that yeah do this but if they don't really understand that uh, is what is the current state of where they are now what needs to be done so it can get really messy and difficult mm-hmm. to
0: uh, to get so so it's it's essentially the man, the management buy-in from the uh, top executive yes, level. yes
1: and and the, resourcing. And, the and, resourcing and like it's it it doesn't happen overnight like of course in smaller companies it's easier because they you don't have so much of a legacy stuff going on there but um uh in uh, in general it takes a lot of time and it takes uh, uh, investments into setting up the teams. You have to have also like the data side needs to work well. And also the processes where you plan to integrate these solutions, you need to kind of uh, be able to prepare for it. So how do you do it? How do you take advantage of it? And also like uh, (laughs) that that of course affects also that, what kind of a solution you need Mm -hmm. to get.
0: Yeah. And
1: it's, a, it's not like you can provide an off the self solution and say that, well, here it is, just do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. There can. needs to be training and, it, and it, the it right won't selection. Go anywhere.
0: Yeah. And, and what about, I mean, you mentioned the people part. So I can imagine that uh, there is kind of a talent deficit for many organizations that want to embark on increasing these analytical cap- capabilities. So, what is your advice for? companies that may be managing this shortage of labor talent especially with these type of skills well i mean uh,
1: that's of course putting also a kind of a price tag on how much <laughs> they want to spend but but uh, the, the most important thing i would say that is to start like from the management side like i mean at least one of them needs to really understand what is going on and not just uh, not just know that, okay we have this hype and we have all these kind of things uh, going on. But you really need to understand and also to a good extent, uh, uh, like know that how uh, will it be done really on the kind of a ground level, like in practice. So uh, so that the management can provide like realistic expectations, realistic resourcing, Mm -hmm. and then they're better also able to match, like, okay, we have this problem, and they understand the complexity level of the problem, and they know, like, what the current state is and what sort of resources they need to put in if -hmm. they want to pursue it. Sure, sure. And, uh, like, if if that kind of knowledge is missing from the management completely, then they are at the mercy of consultants or or someone else, and uh, it will be very... Uh, it, it can get a dangerous mm-hmm. process and difficult to succeed. Sure.
0: And and I understand that, uh, you know, obviously working in the university and being closely involved in the business analytics uh, uh, program, uh, you're involved with obviously the education. Um, is it possible to, let's say, upskill or retrain somebody that may have, had a degree in statistics 10, 15 years ago, uh, to some of these newer models that you're talking oh, about? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, uh,
1: the, the well, what these newer models are, like most of them have been invented a long time ago, but it's just that the computational side has picked up, so they can, they can now be implemented on a scale that is just... Well, hugely large, like neural networks, you, you the components what they're using, like many of them have uh, have a kind of ancient, but they're able to stack them up and in much much big to arrive at much bigger models. And well, I, I, of course, I'm not saying that there haven't been any proper innovations. Of course, there's been proper innovations as well, but uh, like the groundwork has. Uh, has existed there.
0: Okay, so in your view, if somebody is skilled in, let's say, uh, mathematics or statistics, then it wouldn't be that much of a difficult jump to some of the new, yeah, newer no, models. No, it wouldn't. Okay. And
1: also, like, uh, if uh, if a business guy wants to get an understanding on the uh, on the background, I mean, I mean, uh, like, not wanting to aim for a technical position. But uh, to become a person who understands sufficiently and is able to manage the stuff, I mean that's also uh, very much feasible. Mm-hmm. but like a- aim starting with a business side and then aiming for a purely technical side, like I mean uh, that uh, that will require like almost like completing another degree in computer science in parallel or yeah. or stuff like that,
0: okay. Uh, that's interesting. And uh, speaking of innovations, uh, what is your view on uh, these generative AI tools, such as uh, Chat, uh, GP, which has garnered a lot of attention in recent weeks?
1: Well, there's uh, a lot of hype, nice thing, but uh, when, if commenting as a researcher, um, very tricky to kind of um, uh, really see what is the true value of, of that. Uh, there's an innovation, yes, but it's also uh, like uh, quite opaque or difficult to evaluate from a research perspective. And most of these modern language models that are being used is that, I mean, uh, in order to replicate it, you would need the budget of uh, say 10 million euros or so easily or even more to just get the same thing retrained. It's ridiculously costly, so I mean that already set up like uh, a major hurdle. Like what, what, uh, why? As a researcher, we may not have such a huge interest for like uh, a particular uh, model that there is. So uh, rather, it would be more like than seeing that is there something on the technical side, like the the underlying elements of it that could be improved. But even there. It would be then like if you arrive at another solution, then <laughs> you, you have the computation issue again and the spending of money. So the, it's uh, it's a nice thing, but also also these technologies like, uh, I mean, when they're, they're trained on huge data sets and it, it takes also a lot of uh, like critical attitude and a critical mindset from people, like when they apply them, they need to also be aware that of the uh, how it works on the on a kind of um, um, the main ideas at least in order to be able to protect against the kind of mistakes what these do and, and because you can easily get misled by the results that look on the surface uh, appealing and good but are absolutely wrong. Mm. Yeah. yeah,
0: I've heard that that is kind of a complaint yeah. Especially with this program, that it's it's giving out biased yeah. output. Yeah. Uh, was that actually programmed before to have that kind of bias? There,
1: no. I mean, uh, like when usually uh, in the machine learning things, uh, the bias is in the data and and like in the setup. Uh, you, it's it's not uh, that intelligent. At least the ones that are currently known. I mean, none of them is is like doing uh, genuine inference like humans do but instead, I mean, it's, uh, it has the data, it has seen a lot, of, a lot of stuff, and then based on that, it generates uh, what, uh, like based on its history, seems reasonable right. there. And there, the, the machine, of course, itself does not have any ability to judge whether it's uh, giving a biased output or not like i mean of course uh, one can intentionally uh, uh create models that are biased but uh that's uh, that would be very rare and very weird uh, uh thing to do like biased in the sense like that you would want to deliberately create a system that can mislead in terms of its answers that's uh, uh doesn't sound like uh, uh, no no yeah yeah
0: yeah, well, it's uh, I guess possible
1: for some uh, evil <laughs> things, but <laughs> sure, no, no. Yeah. no and sure. I,
0: I guess there's a lot of now new competitors coming up with these uh, generative AI as well yeah. from ChatGPT. So is is that something that uh, you see a lot of competition uh, in the future with these kind of natural language processing based?
1: Um, uh, n- a lot of competition, but uh, among uh, those who have the budget. So, I mean, in order to compete in the field, you need to have uh, this huge budget to uh, invest in. So so you need a lot of computational power uh, to do it. So that, of course, uh, immediately puts the limit that uh, whether you're able to do it or not, or whether it even makes sense to participate in the competition. Got it. Yeah. Just because, like, uh, even if you want to evaluate one of the solutions and say that you want to still improve it, so you kind of uh, have even higher demand for uh, the computational power. Then. Mm-hmm. Understood. And Understood. Uh, so far, it seems that the performance of these models has improved as the complexity has increased in terms of like, uh, like how how much of units they have <laughs> been stacked up. So, um, right, Just grown crazy big, yeah. and uh, the the underlying mathematics is is actually surprisingly simple mm-hmm. if if people look at the, what what uh, what it is. But uh, the sheer size of those things. It's it's so insanely big now, mm. and it's it's growing still. It's growing still, it's growing I guess, still. with
0: the yeah. with the number of training data, with people inputting so much stuff, it just keeps going. And
1: um, also, like uh, people are nowadays applying also other algorithms to generate these, uh, for instance, neural architectures. So you can have a, a sort of a, a automation also in in like uh, trying out what kind of a stuff will work. So they can generate these uh, network structures, Mm -hmm. uh, which are then just tried out and and, uh, you're running like a competition between a huge number of architectures and then uh, something, uh, then it's kind of like automatically creating like the best (laughs) out of a large pool of trials. Right. So they're, they're kind of clever algorithms built for for that purpose and it seems that uh, in some cases they are outperforming like human engineering even that machines can create better architectures than people Mm, well part of that is that I mean uh, they are already intractable for people like people understand like when they add a certain component type into the uh, they they understand of course like we have a meaning why we do this, but when they uh, kind of uh, replicate it and, and just increase the size of the model, the scaling it up, so they uh, then it gets very difficult to say at the end that
0: yeah that's uh, fascinating. Um, w- w- how do you see the next let's say five to ten years uh, evolution? Let's say uh, in the field of these. Uh, Analytics and that's kind of a broad term, but using let's say mathematical quantitative models to solve these various applications. How do you see the next five to ten years developing?
1: Uh, The development, uh, I mean, that can uh, in in some fields, of course, it can be very rapid and uh, and so, but. uh, Uh, In general, uh, I I would say that, uh, of course, the standard tools are are going because they are already kind of available, so their reach is just growing. So the basic things get, um, they are available for most and they will be able to use them. So the kind of uh, basic building blocks of analytics will get uh, uh, very commonplace and also standard predictive analytics is likely to be increasingly common. But then uh, what is still going to be more challenging is that if you try to move towards the prescriptive side, like coming up with strategies or policies, like what to do, what should be done, given that you're taking all these things into account, so that's more difficult because it also involves a lot more like uh, the human side there to define that. What is the? What are the objectives, under what sort of constraints and that kind of stuff?
0: Right, so right. So, but do you see, like, let's say, in the next uh, five years, maybe ten uh, years, well the prescriptive uh, models will be more common? Uh,
1: it's going to increase, but uh, it's it's also uh, limited a lot. That uh, uh, like, okay, there's the understanding side on the on the manager side, but also like, uh, I mean, uh, there isn't a huge supply of people who can actually it so there's a lot more people who can do predictive analytics right. b- uh, but that's uh, just more difficult right right and also because it uh, sets up skill requirements more in in like mathematical programming direction and, and so hmm.
0: Hmm. and I, I think you're you're playing a let's say a part in this role for de- developing these young, eager minds here at Alto University with the business analytics uh, yeah, curriculum. To, to some extent, to some <laughs> extent. <laughs> yeah, and and do you s- do you keep in touch with some of the graduates uh, from the yeah, from this master's program? What are they doing these days?
1: Uh, well, some of them I know. I mean, uh, they've gone uh, with. Uh, have have, like people have established companies even they've started uh uh, they've had already some ideas well they've had their studies and picked up companies but other um i mean uh i haven't kept contact with many of them okay just just a few just a few Uh,
0: i could imagine that they're 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 very much in demand
1: Based. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's also like uh, often people struggle to kind of define what is their, uh, 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 what is the kind of a title they have? Like, right. What does it mean? Are they going to introduce themselves as a as the business analytics or are they going for a data scientist? Mm-hmm type of things so and uh, that can depend uh, quite a lot on the on the blend, particular blend of studies what they have acquired from Alta. because yeah. i mean it's uh, you still have the same degrees and so but but what is under each particular degree can vary so much because we have now the opportunity that students can take courses all over the place right. so I mean, they can uh, they can basically themselves decide that what sort of profile they want to create. It's not us deciding that. Of course. Of that's course. what you get. but
0: That's the, that's the beauty.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, that's really
0: good. Good. Excellent. Well, this has been a fascinating uh, conversation. I'd like to thank you, Pekka, for your, your time. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Operations Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Gautam Basu. If you like what you're listening to this podcast series, then please hit subscribe. And until next time.